All right, uh, Genesis. Back in Genesis this evening for our sermon. It's been a few weeks since we were here. Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 9. Genesis 12, 1 through 9. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed, as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy-five years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, as far as the terebinth tree of Morah, And the Canaanites were then in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel. And he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So Abram journeyed, going on still toward the south. And... A New Testament text corresponding with this is Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 10. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen. Thanks be to God for His Word. Let's pray and ask Him to bless it to us now. Lord, we ask that You would speak to us Your Word, that You would take this Word and plant it deep in our hearts, that You'd open our hearts to receive it in faith. Lord, apart from your, your work, we won't receive it. We'll reject it. So we pray that You would give us grace now to hear Your Word and to trust You fully. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. 
We have reached a turning point in Genesis, coming to chapter 12. And it's not just a crucial point of uh, turning point in Genesis. It's actually a crucial turning point in the history of salvation, in, in the history of how God has, is, is working with His people. Genesis 12 brings into view a dramatic development in, uh, uh, in, in God's relationship with man, God's dealings with man. You remember back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the gospel seed is planted. God promises, uh, promises Adam and Eve that he is going to send a Messiah, a deliverer to crush the serpent's head. That's the gospel seed. It's, it's planted there, right? This, this one who will come and succeed where Adam failed, overthrow the evil one, and lead God's people into their promised rest in, 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 in him. Um, and this, this seed was planted in Genesis 3.15, but then you look from Genesis chapter 3 on, and you see a little growth, a little bit here, a little bit there, but, but so often it looks, it looks almost dormant. What do you see? You see wickedness flourishing. You see evil flourishing. You, you see sin exponentially increasing and, and seeming to overwhelm and even defeat the seed of the woman that was promised. Right, Cain kills Abel. Uh, um, um, you see Cain's descendants overwhelming the world and leading up to the flood. And then even after the flood, you see the, uh, the godly line almost disappearing, all but disappearing. Um, and, until, in fact, you look around at the end of Genesis 11, and it looks like there, there is no one still worshiping the Lord or trusting in His promise. But then... Genesis 12 comes. God comes down and He speaks. He comes down and He pours out the blessing. We should just appreciate, before anything else here, the astounding grace of God in blessing people. Blessing sinners. Right? Blessing is a pre-fall word. A blessing makes sense before the fall, that God would bless His, his creation, which He has made good and right and holy. Yeah, He's going he's gonna to bless. It's, 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 uh, it's, it makes sense that God would bless his, his, his creation that's not stained and broken by sin. But after the fall? After the fall is the world of the curse, right? God curses the world for sin. But, but now in Genesis 12... You get a pre-fall word and a post-fall world. Blessing is breaking in to this cursed world. God is bringing in, uh, bringing in the blessing of His grace. It's a glorious thing that God is doing this. Um, and it's, it's wonderful. It's, 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 this is the gospel for us, right? That we are sinners living in a world under the wrath and curse of God, cut off from paradise, cut off from the presence of God. And so what better news could there be than blessing for sinners? The grace of God for sinners. Uh, the news of inheritance instead of exile. And uh, forgiveness instead of condemnation. And that's, that's what we see happening here in Genesis 12. God is calling a people to Himself. He's, he's calling uh, 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 sinners to Himself and bringing people into covenant with Himself again. It's a glorious thing uh, by His grace that, that He's doing here. We left off, as I said, in Genesis 11. Um, Genesis 11 brings us up 
uh, to, the, to, to Abram's family. Um, we get Terah's generations there. We, we, we have this picture of, as I just mentioned a moment ago, um, no true religion seems to be left, no true following the Lord left, uh, but God comes and he claims for himself a, a people. Um, and, and, and the grace of God here is like a flare going off. Right? It's just this blinding, brilliant light as Genesis 12 breaks into all this. That's what we see in the text here, brothers and sisters. And what we are called to here is to trust in the promise of God that we see, trust in Christ as he's foreshadowed here, and to respond in faith and obedience to the Lord's call on us as well. Uh, two, two headings as we work through the text before us this evening. The first is this, gracious blessing. Gracious blessing, verses 1 through 3. We start with God's call to Abram. Um, from a human perspective, God's call to Abram seems to come out of nowhere, doesn't it? Um, who's Abram? What qualifications does he have? Right? He's just a guy from Ur. Um, he's not anybody important, not anybody special. In fact, he's someone who's quite a sinner. Uh, he's an idol worshiper, probably worshiping the moon god like everyone else in Ur, like everyone else in Mesopotamia, as Joshua 24, 2 points out. Abram was not worshiping the Lord. He was worshiping false gods. He didn't get God's attention by seeking him. He didn't get God's attention by his own righteousness, his own good works. He was, as we read in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, like everybody else, dead in the sins, dead in the trespasses and sins in which he once walked. His whole life rebellion against God. Nothing in Abraham made him a candidate for this. But God calls him. God, rich in mercy, calls this, uh, this, this sinner to himself. Because of his love for him, he sets his call on him. Um, it's a gracious call to him. It's just a picture for us of how God, God works with us as well. God always works this way. We are dead in sin. We don't come to him first. We don't make the first move towards him. Uh, we don't, we're not qualified in any sense by our own works. We are completely disqualified in every sense by our sin. But God so graciously calls us to himself. He puts his love on us and he calls us for himself. If, if we could choose him, then some credit would be ours, right? If, 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 if we had the ability to choose him, wouldn't some credit for our salvation to us, and, and none of it can. All the glory for salvation belongs to God alone. Dear brothers and sisters, we need to get this fixed in our hearts. Yes, we know it's in our theology, uh, it's in our doctrine. We need to get it fixed in our hearts. God saves me because of His grace. God saves me because of His power. Right? We don't have anything to do with the fact that we're saved. It's God's grace to us and His power to us. God is the one who saves. He is always the one who saves. And we, need to, we need to know that. We need to uh, be humbled by that. And we also need to rest in, in that. If it all depends on Him, then surely He won't fail. So that's, that's where we start God's gracious call here. God calls Abram, finds Abram dead in sin, and gives him 
new life by this call. Uh, let's look at the substance of the call here. It's a rich, threefold blessing that we see. Blessing number one here that we get is land, a, a promise of an inheritance for Abram. The Lord says in verse one, go from your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. Uh, and then this is reiterated in verse 7. To your descendants, I will give this land, God says to Abram. Land's important, especially in an agrarian culture, right? Without land, you don't have wealth, you don't have, uh, you don't have a way to provide for yourself, you don't have stability for yourself and your family. Um, having land meant all these, all these things. Having choice land, good land, arable land meant, meant everything. Um, God is promising these things to Abram. Uh, but, it, but it's more than, more than that, of course, isn't it? Um, he's not just promising him real estate in the Middle East, but he's promising him, he's promising him a heavenly promised land. Um, God, God's promise to Abram is, is, a, is an earthly promised land that points him to the heavenly promised land. Um, Again, we talked about this earlier as, as uh, the curse exiles us from the presence of God and, and, and dwelling in God's holy place. Uh, the blessing of God calls us back to dwelling with him in his holy place. Did Abram get this? Did he understand this? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10. For Abram waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Yeah, he did. He, his hope wasn't really, ultimately, in that land there in, in, in Canaan. His hope was in that heavenly inheritance that, uh, that, that God was giving him. This promise that we see here, then, is, is a gospel promise, isn't it? It's in typological form, uh, but, but it's still a gospel promise. It's, it's uh, foreshadowing what we receive in Christ. God's gift to his people of a new heavens and new earth, right? A heavenly inheritance that'll be their home, their place, their holy place with him forever, a place to have fellowship with him. That's the first blessing we see promised by God's grace, the blessing of land. The second blessing, uh, in, we see this in verse 2, is that God will make Abram a nation, a great nation. Uh, it says this, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. Uh, God's promising, of course, to multiply Abram's descendants and to make Abram the father of a, of a great nation. Um, there's an echo of another promise, another blessing, excuse me, in Genesis here. Um, th- think, think back to the early, early part of Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, um, where God gives to man a mandate. Fill the earth and subdue it. Right, fill the earth. Become a great family, a great nation. F- fill the earth with those who reflect my image and worship me and, and rule over this earth for my glory. That's the essence of the creation mandate there in Genesis 1.28. Commanded to be fruitful and multiply. Genesis chapter 1. So there's something similar here. Um, God is, is giving Abram this, this promise that... that um, Yes, I'm going I'm to make you this great nation. I'm going I'm to multiply you. You're going to be fruitful and multiply and fill the world with Yahweh worshipers as, uh, as was intended in the, in the Garden of Eden. Um, but there's a difference, isn't there? You see it? 
Um, in, in, in Genesis 1.28, as God speaks this blessing to Adam and Eve, it's a command. Do it, Adam and Eve. Fill the earth. Be fruitful and multiply. But here, it's a promise. I will make you a great nation. I will give you offspring. I will multiply your descendants. Um, right, this is... Uh, this is such an important uh, thing for us to note that in the covenant of grace, commands become promises. In the, in the covenant of grace, commands become promises. God supplies what He commands. He gives what He commands. We're seeing a reversal here of the curse of Genesis 3 as well as God sets apart a holy people for himself again. Um, God, God is, right, he's, he's claiming back the image of God for himself. Um, man was made to worship. Man defaced that image bearing, but God is calling it back to himself. And, uh, and that's what we're, we're seeing here. In the words of uh, the great Dutch theologian Herman Bobbing, grace restores nature. God is restoring his, his design. Um, to raise up a holy people, a nation of sinners redeemed, dwelling in this holy land, bearing his image. We see this picked up in the New Testament. Uh, first, first Peter chapter 2 speaks of us as the fulfillment of this promise. First Peter 2, 9 through 10. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the, pra- the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. So God makes this promise to an aging childless man with a barren and aging wife. And He says, I will give you this great, uh, this, this great offspring, these, these many descendants. And it's, it's, not fulfilled in the, um, it's not fulfilled in the nation of ethnic Israel. Um, this promise is fulfilled in all those who put their faith in Christ, the spiritual sons and daughters of Abraham. You know the song, right? Father Abraham had many sons, right? Those, those who, I am one of them, so are you. Those who put their faith in Christ, the spiritual seed and offspring of Abraham. God is doing, right? God, God is, God is uh, himself fulfilling the command he gave to man to fill the earth with worshipers. He's doing it by His grace, for His glory. That's the second blessing. A nation, a great nation, the church, the elect. The third blessing is this. In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed, God promises. Um, God's blessings on Abram are not just for Abram. Uh, God has something much bigger in view. His purpose in blessing Abram is, to, is to, to, to go beyond the borders of the promised land. It's to go beyond the borders of, of ethnic Jews. It, it's, it's to go to the whole world. He's, he's going to make Abram and Abram's offspring the fulcrum or, or, or the, the deciding factor in, in, in whether everyone else is blessed or cursed. If you, if you curse Abram and curse his offspring and curse uh, particularly the Lord Jesus Christ, of course, then that's going to lead to curse for you. But if, if, you, if you come along and, uh, and, and uh, bless them, then you also will be blessed. Um, 
Again, this is, this is fulfilled for us. Not in, it's it's, it's uh, given some fulfillment throughout the Old Testament. You see types and pictures of this fulfillment. As, um, for instance, the book of Esther. Uh, those who curse the people of God are cursed. Those who bless the people of God are blessed. Um, but, but it comes to fruition, of course, in Christ. That, um, that in Christ, God holds out the blessings that he's listing out here to the whole world. And, and draws the nations in to bring worship and praise to Jesus. All these blessings that God gives. Pouring out these blessings on Abram and on us as well. We said earlier, uh, as we started, that um, these blessings don't make sense in a world where we're sinners. Right? We don't deserve these things. How can God bless Abram like this? How can he bless a sinner like this? How can he bless us like this? Well, they're all, they're all purchased through the blood of Christ. Right? Every, every blessing that is given is, is realized in Christ, comes to fruition in Christ, and it's all because of Christ, because of, because of his life and death and resurrection for us. And all of them highlight the amazing grace of God towards sinners like us. But for all this, all this talk of grace and the blessing of God is given, we also need a response, right? What's the response to this? How does Abram respond? How are we to respond? And we see that we are to respond. Uh, we are to respond in, in faith. So the second heading here is trusting, trusting obedience in verses four to nine. Trusting obedience. Imagine you get a phone call. And you don't know the person on the other end. And they say to you, um, I want you to leave your father's house. I want you to leave your hometown. I want you to leave everything you've known. Uproot and go to the place that I'll show you. What do you do? You probably hang up the phone, right? You don't know this person talking to you. Um, that, that's the issue, right? Trust. You don't, if you don't trust them, then you're, then you're not going to... Uh, with them. And, and if you get a phone call like that, you probably shouldn't um, listen to it, right? Um, but uh, this, this is what this uh, moment here in Genesis 12 comes down to. It's, it's trust in the Lord. The Lord appears to Abram. The Lord makes these promises to him um, and calls Abram to trust him just because of who he is. Um, just trust me, Abram, because of who I am making these promises to you. He, he is worthy of our trust. Um, he, he is the one who cannot break his word. He is the one who is truth itself. And so he, he, he's worthy of the trust that he received. What we see here in the text, Abram, um, Abram putting his trust in the Lord, um, uh, clearly a work of God's grace, because what, of, what God is asking of Abram is a lot, isn't it? He's asking him to do something that's, that's challenging. He's asking him to sacrifice a lot. Leave home. Leave your roots, Abram. Uh, leave, leave what you know. Leave what's familiar. Leave what's safe. Leave, uh, leave, leave the, the networks that you've created and the, 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 the source of income that you've developed there. Leave all that. Trust me. Um, it's a call here. Uh, God is calling him to put faith in him, not knowing where he's going, just knowing who is calling him there. Um, he's, he's calling for complete and unreserved trust. 
Abram doesn't hesitate. He, we see in verse 4, So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him. His trust is quick, and his trust is complete. He doesn't say, well, only if you tell me where we're going first, or how much this is going to cost me first. It's just enough for him to know who calls him to trust. Um, he puts all his trust in who God is. What about you? Do you trust in the Lord like that, unreservedly? Lord, even where you call me, I'll go, even if I don't know where it is yet, because I know who you are, and I trust, I trust you to lead me right. I trust your promises to me. Um, I'll leave whatever you call me to leave. I'll go where you call me to go. With that quickness, that alacrity, jumping to it, right? As Abram seems to do here. No hesitation, just full resolve to follow the Lord um, for, for his own sake. Um, enough to know who it is who calls you, not always why or where he's calling you to. This is what Abram does, and this is, this is what we should as well. We see Abram, he takes his family, he, he brings his wife, Sarai, he brings his nephew, Lot, he brings uh, everyone else in his household, and they go from Haran, we're told, to Shechem in Canaan. Uh, it's a pretty good, pretty good trip, uh, uh, significant distance they cover there. He gets to the land of Canaan, and he builds an altar there. Then he goes on from there down to Bethel. He builds another altar there. This is a pattern we'll see as we continue to look over Abraham's life, traveling and building altars. And then he, he, goes, he, he goes through the promised land. As he puts up these altars, he's worshiping the Lord. He's putting his trust in the Lord. He's expressing his loyalty to the Lord. And he's claiming this land for the Lord by doing these things. Um, his faith here is marked by trust and also by, by worship. It's, it's clear as he goes through the land building these altars, he's no longer worshiping the moon god and Ur. He's, he's left the old idols. He's come to Canaan and he's not worshiping their idols. He's being loyal to the Lord and only the Lord. It's a mark that should characterize our faith as well. Just as we see Abram's uh, unreserved trust in the Lord, our, our faith also should be marked by that trust. And just as we see Abram's uh, uh, desire to worship the Lord and the Lord alone, that should characterize us also. Uh, but even as we see Abram go throughout this land, uh, uh, building these altars and um, uh, traveling throughout the land, it's evident that it's still only the land of promise, not the land of fulfillment yet. Um, verse 6 says, The Canaanites were then in the land. A reminder, it's not Abram's yet. He, he's in it, but he's a stranger there. He's, 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 it's not his homeland yet. It's, it's a promise that it will be, but for, for now, it's, he's, he's a pilgrim there in the promised land. Um, and notice that he keeps moving throughout this land. He doesn't settle and put down roots. He keeps traversing the land, uh, as we said, to Bethel, and then uh, from, from Shechem to Bethel, and then to the Negev in the south in verse 9. Um, as we started uh, considering Abram, uh, several weeks ago now, in Genesis 11, um, we, we talked about this dynamic that we're seeing here in Abram's life. Um, I mentioned a book by Dr. Ian Duguid called, um, I think it's called The Gospel According to Abraham, and this subtitle is Living in the Gap Between Promise and Reality. 
And, and that's what we're seeing here. This is life in the gap between the promise, I'll give you the land, and the reality of actually having, owning, and being in this, this land. Um, Abram is a pilgrim. He's walking by faith, uh, not, not by sight. Um, uh, he, his faith is characterized by, by these things. He doesn't doubt the Lord. He trusts the Lord. He obeys. He waits on the Lord. He doesn't know how or when these promises will be fulfilled, but he knows the promise maker, and he rests in him. And so, so much in our Christian life is parallel with this reality. We're living in the gap between the promise and the fulfillment, right? Between, between the promise of the heavenly promised land and the fulfillment of that. Um, we, are, we, are, we are still on earth. We're still surrounded by sin, still surrounded by so much struggle and temptation and trial. God has promised everlasting life and freedom from all of it, and we've begun to taste it, but so much of it is ahead of us. So how do we stay faithful in the gap, waiting for that? For a long time sometimes, waiting, waiting for that. What does Abram do? He keeps his eyes on the Lord, the one who made the promise. He keeps his eyes on God. Who, who, who is the one who made the promise? He's the one who cannot lie, who called you by his grace. Uh, he, he is the one who, who cannot change. He is the one who kept the promises to Abram, as we see in Scripture. And loved ones, most of all, he is, he is the one who has kept the promises he's made in Christ. Um, in, in many ways, our call is like Abram's call. And yet, in a very important way, it's different. We have so much more to trust in and rest in. We've seen so much more of Christ, God's love for us in Christ, and his commitment to you in Christ. You've you've seen, right, in the pages of Scripture, who Jesus, the Messiah, is, and all the glories of his person and his work. so keep, keep your eyes fixed there um, in the difficulty of living right, in this in-between, between the promise and the reality. Keep your eyes on Jesus Christ, who's, who, who's gone before you uh, to, to that heavenly promised land. Let's pray together. Lord, we are so thankful for Christ, our Savior. Uh, we're so thankful for the promises you made in him and the firm foundation that they are for our faith. Even here in the in the in between gap, um, Father, keep us keep us faithful. Keep us walking faithfully, worshiping faithfully, uh, um, bearing witness to the grace that you've shown us faithfully. And Lord, we pray you bring us home in your time. We pray this in Christ's name, Amen.